0: So, today I am serving something up to you and inviting you into a part of my life that is really, really sacred, very, very personal. It's a part of my life that's growing and evolving at a really rapid speed right now. And I don't know why, and I don't need to know why. I'm sharing some things with you that are definitely crunchy, you know, that are definitely a little out there for some of you, a little woo. And it could not be more me. So it doesn't mean that this is something that's going to fit for you. Remember, we're all on this podcast. We're really, really, really owning and celebrating each of us being our own person. So when I share this, it's not to say, oh, you need to do this. In fact, I never feel that way about anything I share. I'm sharing this because it's a part of me that I'm really proud of. I'm also sharing it because I really believe that as you're listening, there are gonna be some beautiful moments for you. It's like I'm offering you a cake and maybe the icing isn't for you. Maybe the design of the cake isn't for you. Maybe you're not even sure if the flavor is for you, but what if the consistency is for you? Like when you bite into that cake, the way it feels in your mouth is the reason you were supposed to take a bite. So I'm about to serve you up. It's funny that I said cake because this is in celebration of me turning 50. So around my 50th birthday. So the red tent ceremony that was offered to me as a gift by Peyton Callahan is something I had never experienced before. And many of you probably have not either. It's something that I will experience. And I think I will end up offering one day in the future. It was life-changing. It was something I want more of. It was like a portal for me, sitting in that red tent. So back in November, I turned 50 on the 17th, and Peyton Callahan hosted this in the backyard of her home in Austin, Texas. The interesting thing is that Peyton and I had never met in person. We had only communicated through Instagram and a little bit of texting, and we met because I found her husband's podcast and just snooped around on Instagram and found her and just immediately liked her. And I had her on this show. So episode 102 with Peyton Callahan is a great, great conversation. And then we've gotten closer. And so I said to her, you know, something tells me, right? That's intuition. Something tells me that when I come to Austin for the podcast tour in November, that I am meant to have some sort of ceremony around turning 50. And I don't really care what it is. I have no idea what it's going to look like, but I feel like you're the person who would be able to hook me up with a guy, right? Who, who would know the person. And she said, Jill, I'm the person. And I said, what? She said, I'm, I'm the person. Like I, I'm going to host a red tent for you. Now, of course, I didn't know until I sat in that red tent that she had been doing this for 19 years, that this is something she feels very called to. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much, Peyton. From the depth of my soul, from the bottom of my heart, with all of my being, thank you so much for your generosity, for your willingness, for the time and effort that went into this. Just because you enjoy it doesn't mean it wasn't work. It was, I I don't even have words. It was that moving. And if you had not Offered this, I would have never experienced this. So, thank you so much. So, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Peyton Callahan. Peyton Callahan is, ah, uh, she's this gentle, wise, joy filled, generous human. And you will go into the depths of feeling. During this interview, you're going to really feel her. She's funny. She's spunky. She just exudes the attitude of live life to the fullest while you can. So let me tell you a little bit about Peyton. Peyton Callahan is a well-being doula. She guides women to awaken to their body's brilliance. She supports women in learning how to interpret their body's language by attuning to their own innate knowledge and deepening their understanding of how their body expresses itself physically, emotionally, and energetically. She's the author of She Becomes, A Dad's Guide, and the creator of a beautiful program that you're going to hear about for young women called She Becomes. I have never heard of anything like that. It is so needed, and I know you're going to want to learn more about it. And then I also want to introduce you to my new friend, Hallie Rose. So Hallie was a last minute invite to the Red Tent because I not only didn't know her, I'd never met her in person. We didn't communicate often at all. Like we communicated one time, I think a year ago when I launched the podcast through Instagram and that's it. I listened to her podcast, The Thought Room and loved it, immediately loved her, but that was it. We no longer crossed paths for, as I said, almost a year. And when I was coming to Austin, I didn't think, Oh, I need to reach out to Hallie Rose. I again, we were not in connection at all at this point, but as life works and as the world works, as the universe works, as God works, as energy works, she reached out to me about something else. I was in the hotel room laying in bed in Austin for this podcast tour. And I was going to be having the red tent ceremony the next day. And she responded to something that I put in my Instagram story. Now, we had not even communicated through Instagram or nor had seen each other's posts for quite some time. She said, mine just happened to come into her awareness and it really struck her. So she messaged me and said, I really, really liked that. And I said, Oh my gosh, I forgot about you. How are you? And we chatted a little bit and I said, Hey, listen. I'm here doing this, and this person is having this thing for me. And she's like, oh my gosh, Peyton, yeah, we're friends. I know her. I would be honored to come. So she showed up, and oh my gosh, she had a huge hand, as you'll hear, in this conversation in what happened in that tent. Oh my goodness. So Hallie is a coach. She's a podcaster, as I said. She's an author, a speaker, and an educator. She is wise beyond her years. Like to me, when I'm talking to and I'm in the presence of Hallie, it's like being with a 110 year old woman in a young woman's body. She holds two bachelor's degrees, one in psychology and one in education. She has a whimsical and richly varied list of experiences. Her former jobs include a Waldorf teacher, a child model and actress, nanny to the children of high profile Hollywood actors, and a published children's poet. So in 2017, Hallie went on a vision quest in the Inyo Mountains, spending three days in the desert without food, fire, or a tent. Can you imagine that? She became infatuated with sacred rites of passage, and out of that experience, birthed her company, Lunar Wild. Lunar Wild honors the sacred initiation into womanhood through celebratory first period gift boxes for girls. Isn't that amazing? Since its foundation, Lunar Wild has helped hundreds and hundreds of girls across North America break down stigma and shame through celebrating their body and their periods. In addition to being an energy worker and a certified Reiki practitioner, Hallie has studied a wide variety of holistic and alternative modalities, such as transcendental meditation, sound healing, Kraya Yoga, Buddhism, tantric sexuality, shamanism, and psychedelic integration. In addition to Lunar Wild and her amazing podcast, The Thought Room, Hallie is now most passionate about working closely with a small group of one-on-one clients and men's groups like The Conscious Man to help bring about paradigm-blasting and long-lasting life-transformative experiences. She is a freaking badass. So now that you've heard about my dear friends and my sisters, Peyton and Hallie, I'm inviting you into The Red Tent.
1: There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself.
0: The answers are all
1: in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free.
0: Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multimillion-dollar business. Ten years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to BU Podcast. And to those of you who are new listeners, this is a great episode for you to be joining us with. You heard in the intro why this is emotional for me in such a great way. And I'm super honored that Peyton and Hallie are here with me and with all of you. And I'm equally like excited about this because I know that something's going to come through and of this episode that isn't just like a recap of something that we had you know, that we want to tell you about. I already know that this in and of itself is going to be another beautiful experience, but this time I get to share it with all of you. We have listeners in almost 100 countries, Saudi Arabia, Kenya, Singapore, Philippines, Germany, I mean, just all over. And I'm, I'm just grateful that you're all here with us. And then I get to introduce you, reintroduce you to Peyton Callahan. She was on the show in the past. And then Hallie Rose, who is my new sister, my new friend. So welcome, ladies, to BU Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so so much. You again. Yeah. So as I shared with you before, we started recording. The listeners heard me talk about this experience I had with something called a red tent. All I did was talk about how I felt about it, but I really didn't explain it because I still don't know how to explain it. And so I will share with the audience that these two amazing women were not an integral piece because every woman there was, but they were like the glue, like they were the backbone for this. Peyton was the one who volunteered to host this for me and went to so much effort and So much detail, which I've heard from many people is very Peyton. That's just how Peyton does it, right? But I also don't want us to downplay that and say, well, that's just what Peyton does. That's how she is. It's still such a, a huge thing and such a gift because every little detail, and I'm a details person, was done with love. And I could feel it. Every little thing I saw, I was just like, oh my gosh, it was like this beautiful hug. And then Hallie was invited at the very last minute, and we'll tell you that story, and then just came in like a force. Like, sure, I'll come. And I was like, whoa. It could not have been what it was without you. And then you both, in this really full time right now in December, right before the holidays, you both said, sure, we'll throw together an episode. And by the way, we'll do it on video, even though we don't normally do that. And I just want to thank you both for that. Will you please first each just share who you are, so they, they can meet you first, and then we'll go into the topic? Sure. Thank you so much, Jill, for that introduction and that context. My name is
1: Hallie Rose. I am at a loss for how to describe myself. Do you ever have those <laughs> moments? I do a lot of things in the world, but obviously we know there's so much more to who we are than that. But I'll start with those things because I believe they really help set the context. I am a podcaster. I host a show called The Thought Room. I also help guide people through their spiritual awakenings. So I'm a one on one coach. I lead some group programs as well. And I am the founder of a company called Lunar Wild, which is a women's empowerment brand. And we make first period gift boxes for young women. And I'm sure we'll get into this later. This is actually a big reason that Peyton and I connected because she also has. The Become Box, which is aligned with the same mission of providing young women with a sacred rite of passage into womanhood and to celebrate that time, which is very much connected with the Red Tent. So, those are a few aspects of things that I'm currently spinning and putting into the world. And I'm humbled to be a student of life and just grateful to be a part of my own messy, glorious unfolding every single day.
2: Mm. So you want to just say my name? <laughs> <It's> so beautiful <laughs> love it. Um, yes, my name is Peyton, and I worked for years as a birth doula, and have continued my work with women during transitional phases in their lives. I help women connect to the wisdom of their bodies, to really understanding how their bodies communicate to them emotionally, physically, and energetically. Um, and so work one-on-one with um, women to help understand and speak their body's language. And as Hallie mentioned, I teach a mother-daughter courses, understanding puberty and understanding the purpose and power of their periods. And our Bacom Boxes is something that we offer through that program. But what I love, and I'm so glad you mentioned that right out of the gate, is just The magnetism of how we are connected here in this moment, Hallie and I were connected through my husband, which right when we're in resonance, that's how we draw people into our lives that are very meaningful and the the people who we're meant to, to do life with. And we share a very similar mission in supporting women. And that was so cool to connect and now have this relationship and to support one another in continuing that. And then that leads us to you who found us independently. And one thing I want to note about the event that you gathered is that you didn't know many of the women that were there. I think you knew one person that you had met in person, but just um, to acknowledge how you really drew all these incredible women in for this particular event, this particular time, and that all of us really share a similar message. And so anyway, I want to thank you for that. And yeah, I love that we're here together sharing this with mm-hmm. you. Thank you.
0: Thank you both. And I, I don't know if you know that I know the story of how you met because I saw it, I believe, in Peyton's Instagram story. I found her husband, Cal's podcast, The Great Unlearned, such a great podcast because my coach, Steph Stefandos, was a guest. And so we, my husband and my son and I were on the road to a soccer tournament. And we put it on. And my son, who was 16 at the time, loved it. And he was like, I love that guy, who's Cal. And so we listened to the whole show. And I was like, I'm hooked. And I messaged your husband right then. And I was like, I don't know how many 49-year-old women in the Midwest, because I didn't know he's from Chicago. You have listening to your show, but you have a new fan. I'm obsessed with your podcast. And I'd heard one episode. And then I binged listened. And I just loved everything about it. And so then, of course, I found you, Peyton. And on your story, I remember you sharing how you were introduced to Hallie. And at first, you were a little confronted by the fact that here she was doing exactly what you were doing. Will you just share that quickly and how you shifted that into, let's let's learn from each other?
2: Ooh, I would love to. Yes. So this beautiful woman shows up at my house. And as she's speaking, she's basically sharing all the things I want to do in life. And she's doing all the things I, I want to do. And you know, she has this, this beautiful kit for young girls, and um, she's, you know, hosting podcasts. She's doing all these things. And my husband, you know, is here, like, oh, I want to have her on my show. And so, you know, my first, I guess, wash of emotions was threatening. You know, who is this woman? Why would he want to talk to her over me? Like, does he love her more than me? Like, all of these insecurities surfaced in a, in a hot second. And then we take a minute and acknowledge them and realize like, oh, you know, my husband just brought me the gift of this friendship that I now have. We have a shared mission supporting young girls. And now we have an opportunity to collaborate. Why is this a competition? Why did my body immediately go to feeling threatened, to feeling like this was someone who's coming to take over my life. Like literally, you know, I think in a split Mm -hmm. second, we can spiral into these stories. And so it took a while to acknowledge and process and confront like all these things that I was feeling and to be able to share that with you um, and to share that with my husband. But isn't it interesting how we can go there and in a
1: moment. Mm -hmm. It's very tribal, you know? It's very tribal. I think for both men and women, like we're taught to be pitted against each other. Society conditions us to do that too. And I just want to say, when you told that story on my podcast, it affirmed the reason I wanted to have you on the (laughs) podcast. Because when I met you, I was like, this woman is so courageous and is willing to make mistakes is willing to share about it is it. There is no such thing as mistakes, really. I don't believe that. But is willing to share their vulnerability and empower other people to do that. And I was not expecting you to tell that story on my podcast. And it got really real. And I was so delighted. you were like, yeah, you know, I have a confession to make when I first met you. This is how I felt. And I was like, yes. Thank you for being willing to say that. Mm-hmm. Because how many times... Do women just pretend they're not threatened by each other? Mm -hmm. And then we put up those little walls and we get passive aggressive and we keep a distance and we're never willing to acknowledge the beauty Mm -hmm. in the other that's right here to teach us. And you not only did that with me and disarmed yourself, then you shared that story with the world. Mm -hmm. And I just cannot underscore enough how healing that is for women. So thank Mm -hmm. you.
0: Yeah. And think about as me receiving that, like I'm in the audience, right? So I saw you share that, Peyton. And it wasn't like, oh, that's interesting. It was, oh my gosh, she feels threatened. I mean, she looks like a model. She is in madly in love with her husband. She has this great fam. I'm not saying, and this is, this, you do. And this is what I thought. And I'm like, why would she feel threatened? Oh my gosh, because she's human. Oh, so that means I'm not as messed up as I thought because she has the same, it was such a gift to everyone who saw you be that vulnerable. And it's interesting because I'm not just saying, oh, I bet it was, like, I really did experience that. You know, Mm. and then also you could flip it because as an audience member too, someone, you know, watching this, I could say, who knows, maybe Hallie could have felt, okay, this older, wiser woman who's given birth to three children has the same thing laid on her heart that I do, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I don't know if you, did you have any of that or no? I had a little bit of my own inner process of looking at places
1: in my life I felt like I had failed. And I have wanted to grow what I've been doing with Lunar Wild so much more rapidly, but I've had to kind of put it aside because my soul has been calling me to teach and to coach and to speak. And so there was definitely this battle of when I saw somebody else doing it, going, okay, I can't do any more than I'm doing right now. And that feels really uncomfortable. And my solution to that was because I love this idea so much, was to just turn to Peyton and say, here's everything that I have. If you want it, help this thing grow. Because I... I'm taking care of my other creative babies right now. And I'm not going to withhold this information because of my jealousy or my need to compete. Or that would just be so silly to hold these gifts back from the world. So I just said, here's my business model. Here's how I grew it. Here's, here's what you can do to grow it. Thank you for doing this. And... And I just, yeah, I went that direction instead. But I certainly had some stuff on the inner about my perfectionism and my pressure on myself that mm-hmm. I needed to face.
2: And, and I just want to reiterate what she just shared. <laughs> Basically, when I told Hallie that I was creating a period preparation kit for the attendees of our, the workshop, you know, so when I was doing them in person before um, we were quarantined. Um, I would give them a gift bag, and it was basically what I would give them in the gift bag. But she was creating this on a scale that you know could share with so many people across you know the United States. And when I told her, I was like, "Oh, I'm creating this, you know, period preparation kit." The first thing she did was brought me over one of hers, and she explained and she said, "You know, here's some resources. And have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And oh, that's awesome!" And Completely dove in, gave me feedback, did not withhold anything, like did not hesitate to help me make mine the best I, I wanted to do and, and to consider things and, and how to maybe get things donated so that I wasn't spending more money than I was making, you know? So, yeah, thank you. You taught me a huge lesson in that moment,
0: huge lesson. And and what a gift to both of you, right? Because it sounds like, Hallie, you were being called to do other things. You couldn't let that baby go. But then you have another mom that comes along and says, I would like to adopt that baby. That's so huge, Jill. That's such a huge point. And and I think about, again, our
1: tribal nature. And when we were living in tribes, and you've heard that phrase, it takes a village, Mm -hmm. right, to raise a child. Mm -hmm. So our creative endeavors are our children too. And unless we can let go of control enough to share that child and to recognize, hey, I think I've actually, I've parented this, this child through this phase and maybe I'm not the best one anymore. I mean, this is so widely applicable in our all of our endeavors, in our relationships, in our friendships. There's that moment of like, okay, I think I've grown to this point, but I'm still holding on because I'm afraid to let go. And what would it be like to surrender knowing that Change is an inevitable thing, and that there can actually be so much beauty on the other side. So, yeah, it's like these little moments of of death and rebirth in our lives, and every little moment like this is a ritual. And your moment in the red tent is a ritual. You know, it's these markings of these really important death and rebirth cycles.
0: Mm-hmm. I told a now friend of mine who you both know, Preston Smiles, who was my mentor, and. I would say teacher, because I got certified in the program that he created with a few other people. So he was my, it was like my professor, right? And I told him today that my experience in the red tent, truly aside from giving birth to three children and looking my husband in the eyes seven years ago, and unlike when I married, whatever it was, I don't know how many years ago, the first time, Committing to that relationship and knowing this is the right decision. The red tent, aside from those two, is the most profound experience of my life. And I also said to him, I also understand that it was a series of thousands of other experiences that led to that night too. So I have to, I have to give credit to all of that, like all the work I've done, all the healing I've done that brought me to that point. I just want you both to know that. And okay. So I, there's so many things I want to ask and say, but let's just, just just get right to it. So. Whichever one of you would you first just explain what is the red tent I've been asked several times that I'm like, well, I know that there was a time where women would go in there and they'd sit on bales of hay during their cycle and they're like, "Is that what you did? I'm like no, <laughs> That's not what I did so so what is the red tent and someone else asked me yesterday, did the book influence you to start hosting the red tents years ago? Yes, absolutely, so
2: about twenty years ago. Anita Diamante wrote a book called The Red Tent. Her book prompted a movement across the world for women hosting these gatherings of gathering women together, and they can look many different ways. So I was invited to mine first red tent, my first red tent about 20 years ago, after a friend had read the book. And she read the book and our friend had just given birth to a baby girl and in celebration of her birth, she hosted a red tent, which was gathering women of the community to sit together in celebration of the creation of this beautiful life and us giving our commitment to her to support her and her family and her motherhood. And as this child was um, this child was growing. So it, it is just bringing women together to support, to offer healing, to laugh together, to cry together, and just be reminded that we're, we're all here together to support one another. And so that attending that event 20 years ago also had a huge impact on my life. It had a huge impact on the way in which I connect with other women. So since that time, I shortly thereafter had a child and started hosting these annually. And then for special occasions, such as someone's 50th birthday or the birth of a child. So for me, I've been hosting these for the past, my son's almost 19. So the past 18, almost 19 years. And so basically, a red tent is a ceremony for women. To gather together to celebrate the gift we have of being creators, whether that be creating, you know, having children or creating things that we're passionate about, things that would inspire us, just celebrating the fact that we get to bring life to things. And so, and, and feel free to jump in. But the author was very inspired of the red tent from her study of menstrual huts and moon lodges that are have been held, you know, cross culturally as a place where women would go for respite. They would go to um, have their menstrual cycles. So they would sit on hay bales and sit together and bleed together. They would give birth in these areas. So they would support one another through labor and through childbirth, which brought life and it brought death. Mm -hmm. And so they celebrated all of that and grieved together. And the intention of this ceremony is to recreate that feeling of remembrance that we share this connection, we share this connection with all the women who've gone before us. And and using the red fabric is just to remind us that this is woven within all of us. This knowledge, this knowing is within every woman. And we get in there and we listen and we remember. Mm-hmm. And that's why, in my opinion, it's so powerful.
1: Yeah, and these spaces for women that are just for women are so potent and powerful. And the concept of the red red tent. I mean, that's what we're calling it now. It probably didn't have that name, but it's been used for so long in so many indigenous, aboriginal, and Native American traditions. So there might even be like a separate teepee that was set up only for women during their moon time. So moon time, for those listening... That aren't familiar with that is another term for when you're on your menstrual cycle because a woman's cycle is intricately connected with the moon cycle. Many women know this, some might not. And in fact, in earlier times in human history, women used to be almost exactly synced up with the moon cycle. Now we have a lot of things that disrupt our natural hormonal cycle from our food to fluorescent lighting, to plastics, to environmental pollution, our disconnection from the earth, our spiritual disconnection of ourselves or to something divine. These are all things that contribute to us being viscerally disconnected from the cycles of of the earth and the cosmic systems. But earlier on You know, women would generally tend to menstruate on the new moon, correct, Peyton? And then they would be ovulating right at the full moon. And so it would be very easy to tell, you know, when you wanted to get pregnant, when that window would be for you. The like summer solstice, full moon celebrations were, were a time of big baby booms. And all the women just feeling round and juicy and and celebrating and dancing barefoot on the earth and feeling very connected. So yeah, but these, these separate spaces, these teepees, specifically for women to come and be in peace, be in quiet, be in commune with their bodies and other women. Now, what's interesting is in some of the writings, no offense to men, <laughs> but there was a lot of white male anthropologists who were coming in to observe some of these indigenous cultures and very much confused the reason why the women were in a tent separate or in a teepee separate so there's a rabbit hole we could go into about the denigration of the sacred feminine or the misunderstanding of it but Here's an example As you have a white male anthropologist going in to observe a community where he might not speak the language yet. And his initial impression is, oh, well, when the women are on their period, they have to be separate and they're not allowed into the churches or the, the areas of worship, right? That could be one perspective. But if you dig deeper and you really understand the tradition, it's, it's actually that... Women on their cycle, on their moon, are so viscerally, spiritually connected, or you might want to say psychically connected, or you might want to say that the veil between this world and the other world is very thin for women during that time, right? We might call it getting insight. We might call it deep meditation. We might call it channeling. We have all these words for it, but the wisdom is more easily strokable during this time. And so that was actually the, the reason that the women had their own space was because to honor the sacredness of that. And in some traditions, the shaman could actually be thrown off by the potency of a woman on her cycle. So it wasn't that she was being isolated because it
0: was dirty or gross or unacceptable. It was because it was revered. Mm, I did not know that. I actually interpreted it the other way. Not that they should have been, but that that's what happened. And when Peyton told me the story, I thought men decided that this is what needed to happen and how unfortunate, but what they did was they made the best of it. And they're like, joke's on you. We get to be away from you and we're going to bond together. That's what I thought it was.
1: Yeah, I was given the book when I started my first period, actually. I don't think I shared that with you yet, Peyton, but my stepmother actually gifted me that book. So I read it when I was about 16. And it was definitely the cherry on top to my experience because you already got to, you you both got to hear my first period story. So, yeah, it, well, what I love about this is Jill, okay, I started
2: learning about this in my late 20s. 30s, right? I started really learning about my body when I started having babies. But what I was so inspiring to learn about Hallie is that this is how she grew up. I know. These are the conversations her mother was sharing with her, with the women in her community were sharing. So she may not have had a, a quote unquote red tent per se, but the women of her community gifted that to her. This was that this was her normal. And so I think that was that's such a blessing to hear and see someone younger than I like knowing this is natural and this is how it can be because ultimately this is what I would want for my daughter this is what I want for other women and this is her normal this is how she grew up so so inspired to know that she gets to share that message with with others now is is so important
0: it is and and if anyone listening has a really, really loud inner critic like me and you're immediately going to mom guilt, which is my favorite place to visit. And it's my <laughs> least favorite place to visit as well. I mean, I, I can go there on a hair trigger. I mean, I can just, and you know, I've learned that mom guilt is every woman experiences, every mother experiences this. However, women who have a really, really loud inner critic and they have more healing to do, it's going to be much, much more painful and much more. It's just going to be worse. And it's it has plagued me and suffocated me and stifled me. I mean, for my oldest is 23. I can't, I could tell you, I'm writing a whole book about this. I'm just, anyway, so when you were just sharing, the first thing I did was go to, oh my gosh. If you knew the experience my daughters had with their first period, like it could have been that and it couldn't have been the more more opposite. Of course you do what you know at the time. I get all that, but you know, I mean, I thought it you would I would think that it would be better than the experience I had which was I told you this Peyton on my show on your episode I'll share it with Hallie so uh, I started my period don't know how old I was it was I started very young very young I think I was 12 and maybe younger and my mom I said mama what is that And she's like oh just go next door and so I walk next door remember you said good old Carol Carol comes to the door with her cigarette. Ah, you started your period. I gotcha. And she takes out this giant mattress thing and said, <laughs> "Mattress <laughs> thing. All right, mini mattress. <laughs> yeah, just stick this in your underwear. Put it between your legs and your underwear. It's gonna feel like a mattress. But good luck." And I was like, "What?" What is she talking Mm -hmm. about? And I was like, and I could even feel shame because she was laughing. Now, I love her. She's my best friend's mother. She obviously didn't know any better. And I just said, okay. And I went home and went into the bathroom by myself and it was never spoken of again. Never spoken of again. My mother never asked me about it again. And things would just show up in the bathroom and I would figure out how to use them. (laughs) So I would think that when I had children, it would be so much better, right? I was shocked when a couple of years ago, my daughters who are now just turned 20 and just turned 23 said to me that I wasn't much better. I was like, wait, what? And they said, mom, the second one, Julia said, I didn't even ask you about it because I was so uncomfortable even talking about it with you because you had never brought it up to me. I went to Mary Caroline and asked her what to do. And then Mary Caroline said to me, mom, you basically handled it kind of like Carol, but better. It's like, oh my god! Anyway, that's a long story to say that. Better,
2: I heard, but better,
0: better.
1: You heard better, of course, you did. You bring up such a good point, though, Jill. And I really want to say just how beautiful it is that you're sharing your healing journey and your journey as a mother with others, because it's so empowering. And we cannot give something that we have not yet received or or learned to gift to ourselves. So. So many mothers have this story too, the same story as you, where they didn't know how to talk about it because they weren't taught. And, you know, there's stories of I had heard one man tell a story about his first impression of periods, which was he wanted to make a gift for his dad. He was about four years old. He made some sort of gift for his dad and he found an empty box in the bathroom waste bin. And he was like, this will be a perfect size box for the gift I made for dad. And he put the gift in and started to wrap it up. And his mother came in and said, no, 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 no. you can't use that box because it was a box for pads or tampons. And the little boy had no idea what he had done, but the shame was there. The, shit, the connection, the visceral, physical, and emotional experience of the imprint of the shame. So then do you think that young, that boy who becomes a young man is going to know how to speak with his lovers about their menstrual cycles? He's just been taught in that moment that that's a no-no. That's a space we don't go. Again, not his fault, not the mother's fault. This is what's passed down in our lineage. And the only way to kind of unbundle these stories is slowly and gently
0: and with a lot of kindness and compassion. A lot of Mm grace. Okay. I'm just realizing something. You know, when it comes to, as I'm talking, my friend always says, I don't know what I think till I hear myself speak. I call her Yoda. She's amazing. And she's like 60, she's probably about 68, 69, 70, maybe. I used to work with her. And I mean, just the things that came out of her mouth. I was like, can I please write that down? Anyway, so I didn't realize until I just started talking that I started to say to you, I had Shame around my period, even in my late forties. The truth is, by the way, I think I'm in menopause. I think I'm in, I think it's happening, which I didn't see it coming. The truth is, I actually, every month for every year that I bled, I had shame. And now I'm, I think I'm in menopause. Literally, like even my own husband, I would hide. So I would clean up anything that we go in the waste bin. I didn't want it to be in there. Oh my gosh, what if he smells something? What if, oh my gosh, no. And I would hide it. He would never say that or put that on me, but I felt that. And I would, didn't want him to know, or I would just be like, okay, well, I'm on my periods, just kind of like stay away. And yeah, I have always felt that. And I didn't know not to feel that way. Yeah. Wow. And so how Thank are you. you feeling now approaching menopause?
2: Menopause being our last menstrual cycle. this is a progression Mm -hmm.
0: that we start to approach. So how is that feeling now? Well, here's what's interesting. I told Peyton on that episode, and I've told Christine Hassler, and I told Violet, my spirit healer, that I felt like something really significant and big was coming. And I felt like it was coming around my 50th birthday. I've been saying this for maybe 8 months. And I said I don't know what it is. I have no expectations. I'm not wishing something will happen. Something's happening. I'm certain. I could even feel like when I when I picture a calendar, I don't know why, but I always picture it in the form of a C. So January is at the top, and then it goes to the left, counterclockwise, February, March, April, May, then I see the summer, and then it goes down to the fall and then December, and then this then there's a space. Okay? And I don't know why. I've always seen the calendar that way in my life. Maybe you must know why. Ooh, there's something there.
2: You no, know, we're just recognizing that it's a crescent
0: moon yeah oh my gosh (laughs) oh my gosh okay so i've always pictured it that way okay yeah it's you're right it's a moon so i was telling someone somewhere up here in the moon um and i told stuff too that something's coming and it's coming to be kind of around and i would say to the bottom and i met when i'm picturing like sort of like in here and they're like what's in here and i'm like i think it's going to be somewhere around like October, November, which is right around when I'm turning 50, which is probably unrelated. I'm Sure, it's unrelated. Yeah. That's what I said. And I don't know what it is. And so I even said, I'm going to slow down. I feel like something's coming. I'm just going to kind of go into a little cocoon. And so then the whole Red 10 experience happened. And then I looked back and realized, oh, I didn't have a cycle. I didn't believe in October. I didn't believe in November. And we're now in December and I don't see anything on the horizon. Mm. And it could be that I'm going to start because, you know, this can go on for years. But I, I feel I feel that it's done because I had severe bleeding, almost hemorrhaging the year before. Actually, oh, I just thought of this last year. I missed my period in November and then heavy, heavy, intense bleeding in December, January and February. Then it was light in March and then I missed April and then I went back to normal periods until stopping now. So how do I feel about it? I feel great. Like, I feel there's a lot I could feel really confronted by because there are things I haven't shared where I, you know, second marriage, begged to the point of dropping into a deep depression, begged my husband for a baby, begged. My birth children are donor kids. So um, in my marriage before, he had non-Hodgkin lymphoma and was sterile from all of the treatments. And it was just quick intervention. There was no time to think about saving any sperm. So I used a donor for all three of my kids and that's a whole different, I could share an hour on that and the beautiful blessings of that and also the trauma around that and how it was handled. And anyway, so I married TK and not only did I, I leave a marriage with an addict and free myself, right? Dug myself out of debt, built a whole business on the side while I was working as a nurse and raising kids. Got out of all that, did so much personal growth, met the love of my life, and on our wedding day, literally, as we're saying I do, I was like, oh, we're going to have a baby. And I didn't—I wasn't wishing for that. I really wasn't. It wasn't on my brain. I was like, I've done. I've had three kids. It just came to me. We're going to have a baby. Oh my God, I want to have a baby with them. And it was so loud and so clear. And I just felt like that was God talking to me. So that's not something he was willing to do. And so it was very difficult for us. And I went into a deep hole for years. I mean, I would say four years of our seven-year marriage. And so when you say, how do you feel now about possibly being in menopause, I could feel a lot of grieving because this is real. I'm really never having a baby, but I think I grieved enough already. And I'm a grandmother now, which I resented for a little while because I was supposed to be a mother, I thought. But how I feel is like excited. Like if this really is real and I really am in menopause, I feel like, okay, I'm ready for that next phase. That's what I felt was coming. I do just feel that it's going to be just a beautiful experience. Well, in this time, as we approach
2: menopause, it's like puberty in reverse. And it's really an opportune time for a woman. It's a reclamation of self. This is like when a woman really gets to step into her highest gifts. This is the breeding fertile ground for new life. Mm-hmm. This is such an important Part for a woman to now give gift to the other women in the community, the wisdom that she has collected through her lifetime. And it's so important. And I feel like our culture today has scared us into appreciating and being excited about it because we feel like, Oh, we're undesirable. We're unlovable. No one's gonna want us. And our culture has kind of perpetuated that. But it's truly a time where a woman really gets to know who she is and not apologize for who she is and really step into her own power. And it is if if looked upon and and really brought back to what was seen in cultures as the wise woman, mm-hmm. like this is it for us this is such an exciting time you're doing this by stepping into your new role podcasting sharing people's stories sharing your stories you're allowing your wounds to be your medicine you're already stepping into this role and it's truly an opportunity for a woman if seen that way and if appreciated that way like you may not be giving birth to a child anymore but you're giving birth to your greatest gifts you're giving birth to your soul assignment
1: we've mm-hmm. talked about
2: this on you know yeah
1: Why you're here. Yeah, Jill, and I just want to say what you didn't have for your first period transition. So, this would be your transition into maidenhood. You are giving yourself that in your transition into the wise woman. Therefore, the lessons have been learned. You're making this new transition with celebration. I mean, think about the impact that has on your daughters on your grandchildren, now they are witnessing you
0: in the celebration of this next sacred rite of passage. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. Instead of dreading it or being afraid of it, or I genuinely, and I take no credit. I don't know why I'm not worried about it. I'm excited. I feel, I don't know how to describe it, but it's what you said. I feel like I'm afraid to say it, but the truth is I feel like I'm really coming into my own. Like I've been working on that, but now I really am. Like I don't have to work at it. I just stepped into it. I'm stepping into it. That's how it feels. I don't have to try anymore.
1: That's the wise woman. Mm. She's just she
0: she knows who she
1: is. And we're using this set of language that's common between Peyton and I. But maybe Peyton, we can share with the listeners about the four feminine archetypes. Would you like to do that? You would like me to do that? Yes. (laughs) Yes, Hallie. You're such an expert in it, though. So you can you can help me out, but. There's this idea that there are four main feminine archetypes. There's the maiden, the mother, the enchantress slash sometimes called wild woman. And then there's the wise woman or crone. So there's four. So these four also correspond to the four seasons. Okay. So spring, summer, fall, And winter. And we'll take some time to unpack this because I think there's a lot here, Peyton. But so the maiden phase, right, is that springtime. So not only do these archetypes occur in our life on like the macro scale. So this would be when I'm stepping into my maidenhood, first getting my first period. But these archetypes also occur on a weekly basis in a woman's cycle. So in every month, on the micro, I'm going through the maiden, the mother, the wild woman, and the, and the wise woman. The wise woman being when I'm bleeding. It's that inward kind of time of reflection. The maiden being when I'm on the upswing of all my hormones and I'm starting to feel fresh after that week of menstruation the mother being when I'm in peak ovulation and then the enchantress or wild woman being that kind of what we considered like the PMS phase, right? And that's that's when the fire kind mm-hmm, of comes out mm-hmm. and the truth comes out and the things that we've been maybe not saying the rest of the month are are really there and and being burned through in the truest sense. So yeah. That Do is you, a beautiful, no, a beautiful yeah. description. And so if you think of the
2: spiral, for a woman, every month, we're getting to practice going through these seasons and through these different phases of our self, of our goddess, all these goddess phases, and throughout the year with the seasons and throughout our lifetime with our life cycle. Mm-hmm. So in our life cycle, I, I'm very much in my enchantress, the wild woman, it's very dynamic. It's a little erratic. I'm really peeling off things that I don't like. I say no. I share my opinion um, mm-hmm. much more easily. And it's a little erratic. I've also noticed it's these same rhythms that when a woman gives birth. Mm-hmm. So for me, this would be that time of transition. Mm-hmm. So where things are a little, you know, and so, but I think it's really important for a woman to realize that you're all these things. Yes. And when we can embrace this rhythm and this flow of our beautiful feminine nature, symptoms in our body tend to dissipate. Oh, that's so big. To really attune to your body. You know, sometimes when we're in resistance or we're not really celebrating what we're going through, our body will start to express symptoms because always trying to get us
0: in balance. Oh my gosh. Okay. So while you were talking, I realized, Oh my gosh. <laughs> so the other day I said to myself, it's okay if I have like symptoms of menopause. Like I'm not going to, but I don't think I'm going to. Like I, I just, I just realized I was like, I think I'm going to feel pretty good. And maybe that's why, cause I am allowing it right and i'm embracing it and i'm excited about it because i'm not my mother had a horrible time with menopause and she talked about it a lot i watched her run out into the snow we live near chicago right run out into the snow barefoot and rip her necklace off she was so hot she couldn't take it i mean she was miserable mm-hmm. and oh hot flashes and mood swings and just all of this i stuff. love
1: this I
0: love and,
2: and
1: you talked earlier about that fire within during yeah. during this phase yeah. too. Yeah. I love what Jill's saying about not being in resistance to the cycle mm-hmm. because this this is making me reflect on my own journey with with my period and even with everything that I, I was given as far as context for womanhood. I went through that very natural phase of rejecting my period, just sticking a tampon up there, being like, I'm not going to think about it. And, oh, this is so annoying. This is such a nuisance. Now, okay, chill. Now, (laughs) my relationship with my cycle is my favorite week of the month. I'm telling you. I love it because of the actual... Like grounding force, I feel from it. I I now allow my menstrual blood to have its own like natural flow with gravity, and I'm very conscious about. You know, like sometimes I'll free bleed, sometimes I'll use a a menstrual cup, and I'll save my blood. And that was like. A freaky premise for me when,
0: when I first started to learn about periods it's like, I don't want to look at my blood. Oh, yeah. I just heard uh, like 10,000 women spitting their drink out just now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But
1: bear with me here. We are talking about a piece of our humanity that disgusts us. Mm-hmm. Okay. We are disgusted by blood because it reminds us of birth and death. And it reminds us what we are made of. And when we have to confront death, mm -mm, humans don't want to do that. Even life, these these portals, they're very scary for us sometimes, but they don't have to be. And once we start to embrace our our blood, we can feel that connection with life. And so for me, creating a, a relationship with My moon blood is like, well, I didn't know until I started looking at my blood that if your blood's not bright red, you didn't ovulate that month. And I just like, oh, wow. Wait, will you repeat that? Yeah. So the color of your blood changes based on if you actually released an egg. And so if you don't have bright red menstrual blood, like if it just kind of stays that dark cherry color, you likely weren't even fertile or able to get pregnant that month. These are things that I learned along the way. You know, if your blood is is stringy, if there's clotting, like what does that mean if it's brown? What does that mean? It means it's old blood. Why is it not flushing out quickly? What's going on here? Is there something in the diet that needs to be adjusted? Are there minerals that are missing here? Are you so stressed out? Are you not eating enough to support a healthy menstrual cycle? You know, these are all things that we can learn about ourselves from creating a relationship with our bodies amazing, mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to touch on one thing you said about shame before when you were talking about how you went through all of these cycles and never really maybe got past that until right now. I want to say that that is probably the norm. I would say that that's the pervasive model. And when I was learning a lot about periods, I really went on a, a deep dive and I found out that even the word period wasn't used in any commercials until like I think it was like the early nineties. It was either the late 80s or the early 90s. I believe it was Courtney Cox Arquette in like a Tampax commercial. And it was the first time like period was said. Like we're talking about less than 30 years yeah, ago. Yeah. Like that's incredible to me. And even going back, the the word pudendum,
2: which describes a woman's external genitalia means to be ashamed of. Mm. So even in our medical system, this
1: is had, has been embedded in our story for years. Right, and the word in hysteria. Okay, did you know about this? The medical this medical condition called hysteria. In the DSM, when it was first published, they defined it as a like this idea of a wandering uterus. So basically hysteria was what occurred to women when they wanted a baby so badly and they couldn't have one. They went literally crazy is what how this was actually medically defined the first time it was defined. And we talk about hysterical and like how often do we put that on women or how often do our partners, you know, like well-intentioned, but completely misinformed say like, are you PMSing? Right, so so when I was teaching a men's group, I, we were talking about these things, like how do you interact with your woman's cycle? Do you know her cycle? Can you look at a calendar with her? Can you express genuine curiosity in her experience to be able to support it? And um, the the type of lovemaking that wants to occur in the different weeks of the cycle and the different archetypes is different. Is different, and there needs to be space. Like Peyton was saying, the whole range of these, these different archetypes because our society places a gold star on the maiden and the mother. That's it. It's like, are you the sexy young model who's got perfect skin and a perfect tiny body? This is the maiden. And then the mother is, you know, well, she has a purpose, right? She's that loving, she's the Mother Mary, you know, all of that. So our our male counterparts, it's easiest for them to love those two, right? The maiden or the reflection of their own mother. So what we're trying to do, I believe, and what we're moving into and what we're inviting men into is celebrating the other two phases as well, being the the wild, beautiful, creative, messy, sensual, wild woman, enchantress, and also this stable, grounded, centered wisdom of the wise woman and the crone. Yeah. Mm. That.
0: Yeah. That's all we can say. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I have a question. So when I do move into menopause, whenever that is officially... It's like when you describe those four phases, do I, do I have to lose those? Am I still going to get that? I love that feeling when I'm ovulating. I feel it. I feel so different. Like, am I still going to get the, have those feelings? And will my hormones fluctuate the same way or differently? Or I am not at that point.
2: So I haven't personally experienced it to speak on it. But I think as women, we will always go through that that rhythm because we are connected so deeply to the moon and the rhythms of nature. So we're always going to experience that, whether our hormones are shifting that dramatically to form creation, we're going to flow through those seasons um, to start
1: creating new things. And that would be with your gifts.
2: So that would be my take on
1: it. yeah, i it, I definitely agree with Peyton. I think you'll still you you will still cycle mm-hmm. and it'll be just more of like a gentle like a gentler ride through those and and it might not also go in the perfect progression. Like you might just find yourself experiencing the four different archetypes and not necessarily in the same order because also um even men cycle uh right and and i've i've read some things that said that men you know cuz women's temperature for example fluctuates their basal body temperature when they're ovulating that's why some women are actually instead of using hormonal birth control they've opted for taking their basal body temperature in the morning and charting that i read something that even men their temperature fluctuates especially if they're co-sleeping with a partner who so we start to like create coherence and resonance with those around us so that's happening in partnerships like the man will experience like a little physiological shift in response to us you're saying
0: in response yes. to our in response
1: okay. to us to our pheromones to our hormones so he has a physical response in his temperature as well and then i have, of course, you know that women sync up to each other's menstrual cycles when they're around each other a lot. So that's like very, very cool. That's like modern day magic, if you ask me. We are pretty freaking
0: powerful, aren't we? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and I love that you you brought up life and death and creation, as you were talking about earlier, the importance and in jumping back into the red tent. Those were things that were present in the red tent, if you recall, with the candles. And so in honoring the importance of that of life, of creation. So the white candle being life, the black candle being death, and the red candle signifying that creation, mm. that life force. And that resembles blood. Blood is a life force. It's part of our creation. And so
0: those three candles being um, lit and present in the red tent. So let's talk about that. I'm, I'm assuming there's really no wrong way to have a red tent or to fill a red tent, but I'm sure there are some things that you would recommend, you know, having in there. Like, you know, so will you share some of the things that I saw you know, I didn't know why they were in there. I didn't know there was a specific statue. Was that just because you loved that statue? Or is it is that a statue that's typical of red tents? I mean, talk to me and the listeners as if we know nothing about this, because I really don't know anything about it, even though I experienced it. So maybe just in your mind's eye, if you don't mind going through some of the things that were in the red tent? And why? Why were they there? Yeah, so for me, the
2: the past 18 years that i've hosted them i wanted to create a physical red tent so for me introducing red fabric for me that that signified the red thread that is woven through every woman this connection and very interestingly for years i've used a red thread in ceremony of the red tent that we would wrap around our left wrist, which is the way of the heart. It's also our feminine side. I didn't know these things at the time. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to get a red thread and I'm going to wrap it and we're going to pass it around. And so I've done this for years. Fast forward a couple years ago, I'm reading a book and in the book, there's a chapter called The Red Thread," And I literally, yeah, you know, my jaw was dropped and I'm reading... And it talks cross-culturally that the red thread was used for protection for women. It was used to remember their collective consciousness as a source of wisdom. And I'm reading this going, like, how did I know? Like, we know this. This is in our fabric. We know these things. So, you know, it's like, I'm finally understanding what I know. We know so much more. And we understand we do. You said it was about remembering. It's about remembering and our connection to one another. And so I love things like that. It's like, what? How did know? And then now I'm starting to realize, oh, well, of course. <laughs> of course, we've done this for so many years. Of course, we knew to do these things. Um, so I personally like using red fabric to just honor that connection that we're all woven together. It creates a a container, right, of safety of a womb-like structure. Mm -hmm. It did feel like that. Right. You're creating a safe space. Now, you don't have to do any of this. You could just sit in circle with a group of women. And if you wanted to throw in red fabric or red pillows or something that makes it a little more intentional, you can. But all you really need is an intention, to create a safe space for women to gather and talk openly and freely. But you can you can dive all in, like I like to do, and you know, create a, a physical space and use things like so in the red tents that I've hosted, we use candles, we use uh the white, the black, and the red candles to symbolize, as I spoke, of life, death, and creation. I've through my travels, I've collected statues of women and of anatomical parts <laughs> and I love them and so that was a statue that I had in, in that particular statue of a woman who's sitting tall. I put a red candle in her lap just to just to remember the creation and I've now used her at all of my red tents. that just kind of came about as I was doing them. Um, we always have honor the elements so um the light, We clear the space with things such as Palo Santo or sage or Copal. They clear the space with Copal prior, and then you were smudging everyone with Palo Santo prior to entering. And then we had water as a vessel. um, So we created the centerpiece, or some people would refer to it as an altar, but we created the centerpiece with all of these significant symbolisms of things that we wanted people to feel. They may not understand, but they're going to feel like there's more intention in this space. And I think ultimately that's the goal. You want to have this intention that this is something special and reverent for those that are gathering here.
1: Yeah. I love that Peyton. You did such a great job. And I just, I want to just flesh out this vision of what, the actual red tent that Peyton created was because people are like, well, was it like an actual tent? Like, were they in a camping tent? Like, what was this like? And so this was like a massive, I don't know. What was the circumference, do you know, of of that tent? Mm. So I've I've built many of them. This was a new one. This was 30 feet. 30 feet, round, red canvas. Like it's actually red. We're not just calling it a red tent. Like it was red inside. And if you didn't have a, a red tent, you could pin up, like you said. Yeah, that's
2: what I've done. I've built a structure and then I've had red. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. perfect. Um, So that can be done in anybody's... I've seen these popped up in rooms and people's homes where they just get bolts of red fabric and they pin them up or they Mm, throw them over things to create that like that rich womb space. It's almost like that's the blood lining, right? And it's holding us and we're inside of the mother having this experience. So Peyton, this massive 30 foot round tent that we're in, and then her floor was lined with beautiful carpets and soft, cozy things and cushions for sitting on and the lighting is soft and there's a ton of tiny little candles. We each had our own individual candle. And at one point during the ritual or the ceremony, if you will, each woman was had a chance to speak and then was lighting the candle of the woman next to her. Another moment for us of that was kind of the, our opening and lighting the light in one another. So there was candlelight, soft candlelight, and again, the red, the white, and the black larger votive candles that Peyton had. She had a hand mirror that I'm sure she'll talk about what that was for maybe in a second. And just, just creating a beautiful, gorgeous overall ambiance. I mean, it was astonishing. It's definitely the most beautiful red tent I've ever been in. Uh, I've been in a few. And just to echo off what Peyton said about when people ask me about creating an altar space sometimes, it's like, "Oh, well, do, I don't want to do it wrong. And I think Peyton said this beautifully, like, you can't do it wrong. It's not about the individual object that's in there. It's the intention
0: mm-hmm.
1: behind it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's so lovely to bring in the four elements, like Peyton said. And that could be anything you want. Like a, a seashell can represent water. A candle can represent flame, or a coal could represent flame. You know, it's it's or fire rather. It's up to you what you want to ascribe meaning to, and what is sacred for you. So, it's also really cool if you're doing something together with a group of women to invite them to bring an object that's sacred to them to place upon the altar or in the center of the circle as well. To basically. Be there as an offering, but then also be taken back home with the energetic signature of the moment that was shared together as a perpetual representation.
0: Mm -hmm. Peyton, is that why in the text you asked everyone to bring a piece of fruit? Is that what that was for?
2: Okay. So the fruit, not really. The fruit, one, people like to bring something. (laughs) They like to feel like they're contributing. And so I've learned just that when you give them something to bring, that that feels good. But that is just to celebrate the fruits of our labor, our rightness. And so what we did is every woman brought a fruit, our creative potential, and we cut it and shared it in a bowl. And that was us sharing, picking with our hands, eating after and celebration. And so again, something maybe that we didn't discuss but another little creative thing that you could do that's symbolic of something. And again, you may not know what it means, but you feel that there's something different. You feel this specialness to it.
0: It's so interesting you say that because I, as I was standing around the bowl and I kept feeling like I would never normally reach into a bowl with my hand at a party, especially nowadays, people are like, what are you doing? I kept reaching and eating with my hands and chatting with the other women and then they were reaching in with their hands and we were just eating as we were talking. And I just felt like the fruit tasted so good. I kept saying, this is just so good. And that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Ah, Okay. So the poetry, I mean, the book that you had printed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where did all of those poems come from? Have you already had those like archived somewhere? Did you just like, I mean, there were how many pages? I think- For Your Red Tent, we included 12
2: pieces of poetry. So the poetry is a a conduit for conversation. A poetry can sometimes help us emote, feel, connect, resonate, release. For me, poetry and quotes have always been a way for me to express what I had a hard time putting words to. So for me, that they've been a big resource because I'm not one to be able to explain what I feel. I just feel things very deeply. So poetry has been a way for me to um, express that, and it offers a guide for the women to initiate conversation. And then often, you know, you read a couple of poems. Sometimes they just deeply resonate with women, but it'll also spark a conversation. Or
0: I experience this. It was like the best icebreaker I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's an icebreaker. (laughs) It's a very deep, beautiful icebreaker. And I think it gave some of the women the courage to speak. Like, I don't know what to say, but I want to contribute. I want to do something and be of service somehow. Well, let me look through this book and it's already written for me. And all I have to do is read it. Yeah. And to have a voice
2: in this circle. And again, that's another form of release. And of opening um, to be around other women and to vocalize—that's one thing that's also, I think, uh, for many women have been suppressed. Is and 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 right, we open our throat; it helps us open a reproductive space. Centrally, there's so many connections there,
1: so it gives us a voice. Yeah. yeah. I love what you just said. And I, I just want to punctuate it, Peyton, about the connection of the throat with the yoni or the womb space. You can quite easily Google a cross section of the throat and then the female anatomy, and you can see how analogous the the structure, yep. the opening and closing of the mm. larynx. I've never heard that. And the dilation of yeah, the cervix of the cervix. Yeah. Well, I was just
2: going to say often in labor because I worked for years as a birth doula. Right. If a woman was having a hard time opening, yes, we would often play music to get her singing. Yes, or laugh, her, have her partner tell stories to have her laughing, or to start kissing
0: their partner yes. because really? the kissing just
1: helped everything yes. open and
0: soften.
1: Yes. And so to, to take this back too, to like what is in this for men as well is when I was working with that group of men earlier in the year, we were talking about this connection between the throat and a woman's uterus and how even during making love, what a man can do to support the opening of his woman is by encouraging her natural sounds to be let out. It's so sensual for a woman to be able to feel like she can express with her voice and the deep visceral connection that that has to our sexuality. Again, yeah,
2: I go back to my doula days, but so often when a woman was laboring, I would start moaning with her Mm -hmm. to help give her permission to start using her voice and get in her own natural rhythm of getting in her comfort, getting in her zone, allowing all of her hormones to support her. And so soon as I would start moaning and she would find her way and find her her own primal scream, so to speak, her primal moans, things would just fall into place and she would get into her rhythm. And so often it's just giving that permission. And I love that you're teaching this to men to say, yeah, help her tap into that.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Love
0: that. Oh my gosh, this would go on. Like, I just want to talk for another full day and go, oh God, can we just like right now dig into the whole, I mean, oh my gosh, I'm learning so much. I want to much. talk about drumming because that was so impactful yes.
2: experience for you. And yeah. I have
0: never heard or seen anyone beat a drum outside of like when I was in band in high school. <laughs> ever, <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever, except truly, Except like in Instagram stories, I would see some people like being under, or even at your house, Peyton, you'd share something in your story and you guys are hanging out and they're beating drums. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, where did they come from? And who came up with that? And like, it just, it's just so new to me. Jill, will you talk
1: about your experience and like just set the the scene for the listeners of like, okay, when did this drum come out? Why did it come out? What was happening for you? Yes,
0: and it's interesting because Hallie and I, I had asked her, can we please talk? I was like forcing it. Like, like we have to talk. I need to talk to you about my experience. And she's like, how about now? I'm like, no. How about now? No, I'm too tired. How about tomorrow? I'm like, I think I need to rest. Like, it did not feel right. And I know it's because we're supposed to talk about it for the first time now. That's why. So also, I just want to back up. Hallie, she and I had never met, but we also weren't, we didn't have conversations even through social media. We had connected. I saw her through Instagram, through Peyton, long story short, I was just drawn to her, period. And I said to someone I know through podcasting, oh, I'm really drawn to her. I'd really like her on my show sometime. I don't know what it is about her, you know? And it just didn't happen, right? So then I posted something on my story and coincidentally, the the day before the red tent, Hallie, I mean, think about Think about the timing of this. She reaches out, the first one that she saw it, and she felt so compelled to message me and tell me what she thought of my share. She was like, oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And it was also kind of a controversial share that I had. And and truly, my first reaction was, oh, my gosh, I'm surprised that she agrees with me on that. I actually wouldn't have guessed that because I I can be a little feisty. And so, <laughs> so, so then so we were. So can I, Jo. Oh, good. <laughs> so we were chatting back and forth. And I said, hey, I know, you know, Peyton. She's hosting this red tent for me tomorrow. I would love it if you could come. Would that be okay? And she's like, basically, I'm there. I'm there. So, Hallie, when I met you that night, I felt like I had known you for a thousand years. I really did. And when you hugged me, oh, I'm going to cry. When you hugged me, I told my husband, I'm like, there was something there. Like like when your heart met my heart and you hugged me. And and, I mean, it was a hug. Like you held me, I call them full frontal hugs. No one does those anymore. It's like, hi, you know, a full frontal hug. And it was just like a nice moment. But I like felt things that I don't understand. Like I've known her my whole life and lives before. There's some really, she's younger than me, but somehow wiser than me, but somehow still wants to learn from me. Somehow she's like, it was pretty amazing. And so the drum story, we were in this amazing red tent and and I I won't, but I could go on for an hour, which I will on a separate episode about my just description of it and the beauty of it. And just, and I'll just briefly say I said to the ladies in the tent, I, and I told Preston this today, I couldn't take it in. It wasn't like, oh, this is so nice. I can't believe she did this for me. It was like, this is too much. I can't, I cannot accept this. Nobody has ever done this, something like this for me and I don't deserve this. And it didn't feel in the moment like a shaming thing or a self-deprecating thing or being a victim. It really didn't. It felt like this is too much for my nervous system. I went into where I lived my whole childhood. I had a very, very, very painful childhood, like every day of my childhood. And I went into that dissociative state. Like I was above my body. We were all eating dinner and I was not there. And if a couple of times, I think someone noticed because I wasn't engaged in any conversation. You were talking, Howie to my right. Peyton was talking to my left. Everyone was in these beautiful conversations and I was just sitting there going, I can't do this. Like, I just can't do it. It was just too much. Like, this can't be for me. The night's going to go too fast. It's already almost over (laughs) 10 minutes in. They're all connecting so well with each other. They were really meant to come here to meet each other. It sounds very negative. It actually wasn't. It was just more of this is too much. And so I told Preston that the moment that everything changed was in that red tent. There were two significant, all of it was beautiful and amazing, two significant moments. One was your drumming and two was when you had me hold the mirror up. And you all said, you know, I hope you see what I see. And then you each described me and these are women I'd never met in person. That was, you would think that would have been too much, but that actually was, it was my chance to decide to receive. And I decided to receive it and I did let myself. But as far as the drum, I had never heard anyone beat a drum. I didn't know how they worked. And I actually, I, I played an instrument for, I don't know, 15 years at least. I played the flute for many, many years and I just, recently I've been feeling like I'm supposed to play other instruments and I don't know what they'll be because music is just so therapeutic for me. And anyway, when I play music, it's the same feeling I have when I swim. When I'm underwater, when I was a child, that was like the only time I was happy and safe was when I was under the water and I would swim like a fish all day long. And I felt that way when I would play music. And so you started to play the drum and will you explain to them, this isn't, I mean, I don't know how to describe the drum. It's not a drum that some people would <laughs> picture. This isn't like I'm in a band and I play the drums in the back. You're I mean, watching video <laughs> right now. You can see these drums. But, it's called um, a
2: frame drum.
1: Yeah, it's called a frame drum. This is a Buffalo drum. And it's, you know, traditionally these were made actually by indigenous people who were nomadic groups and would hunt the buffalo and then they would use every single part of the buffalo. Like I'm talking the bones, the hide, like they would not waste anything and they would, they would tan it. They would prepare it. Yeah. that That's a beautiful drum, Peyton. And, um, you know, they would use the sinews, they'd make strings out of it and bind it all together and create a drum out of the buffalo, stretch it over a frame. And um, of course, this is a, a modern take on that, but this drum, and I shared the story, was given to me by a Lakota elder woman in my life um a few years ago. She gave me the permission to play this drum. She actually had just pr- purchased this drum and then was spontaneously inspired. To give it to me. And much to my shock and the shock of the other women I was in the teepee with at the time, you know, she just looked at me and said, Oh, this drum wants to be yours. And you were how old? I must have been, it was only a few years ago. So maybe like 27. Oh, okay. I thought this was when
0: you were a child. Okay. Okay.
1: No, but this, this same woman was at my first period circle initiation back when I was 14. And will
0: something. you tell them what Lakota is? Uh, Lakota is
1: a tribe of Native Americans or indigenous people. Mm -hmm. So the Lakota, it's the Lakota nation. So she belongs to
0: that particular band of peoples. Mm -hmm. So Hallie volunteered to drum and I was just grateful. I had no expectation. I thought, oh, this would be cool. Great. And I'll let her share her experience. But my experience was you know, she's drumming and it it just, it sounded cool, right? And I'm like, this is so lovely. She's doing this for me. Like it was such a gift, you know, that she's doing this for me and for all of us, but it felt like it was for me. (laughs) And I told her later that I, at some point, I don't know when it was, I could feel the beat of the drum, like in my heart, Like, like in my body. And it felt like it was inside of my body and I couldn't hear anything else. I couldn't notice anything else. I closed my eyes and my legs were crossed, like, um, kind of like crisscross applesauce. And I was sitting there and I had my hands on each knee. And I noticed that my, and I, I don't know at this point if my physical body was doing this or I thought it was, but I felt my body moving in this circular motion and it started off really small, right? So if you could picture me, those listening, you know, like you're sitting crisscross applesauce, right? And your torso from the waist up, you know, starts just moving in a circular motion. And it was really, really slow. And then it got bigger and it got bigger, like wider. And at some point, again, I don't know that my body was doing this, but it felt like my body was doing it, I would say, probably like a 12 inch diameter. So I was really moving and I wasn't doing it. It felt like there was some sort of energy force that was moving my body in this circular motion. And it was just so... And, and the other thing I didn't share with you, Hallie, is I get dizzy very easily. Like the joke with my friends is that Jill gets dizzy looking at a ceiling fan and gets drunk with a half a glass of wine. Like that's just me. So I don't, I don't do that. I would never move my body like that because I would get dizzy. I wasn't dizzy at all. And it was just so natural. And my body wanted to do it more And wanted to do it faster. And I felt like if I let it, it would just go. And at some point you stopped playing the drum and everyone listening, you know, just, I'm going to invite you to just be really open to what I'm saying because it's just my experience, not just, it is my experience and it's my truth. And this did happen with me. Even if you, your brain might say, there's no way. I I get it because I probably would have thought the same thing. But but as soon as the drumming stopped, my whole body slumped over, like, I mean, my head to the ground, and I fell asleep. Like, I fell asleep for a minute, a second. I don't know. I felt all the energy drain out of my body, but not in a scary way, in a really good way. I felt like all the energy drained out of my body, and my head was down at the ground, and I'm actually in probably the worst physical shape of my life right now, and I felt like so flexible, like, I mean, I was like, silly putty. Right. And my, my head was down. My hands were, my arms were on my legs and I, I could have been snoring. Like I was that slumped over and my hair was down in front of my face. And I kind of like opened an eye and kind of noticed, okay, everyone else is like sitting there awake. What the fuck just happened to me? And Hallie just gently like reached over and touched my shoulder and kind of like rubbed my shoulder. And I could tell she was saying like, it's okay. Okay that was meant to happen and you can wake up now. <laughs> and so I just slowly raised up and I felt like I'd had like the a most amazing massage and energy work I'd ever had in my life. And that's not even describing it really. I mean, that's just some of it. It was also super spiritual. I don't know how to describe it. I felt like I, Peyton, I did share with Hallie that My mother, so my mother's Mexican-American and her father's Native American. And I've really known nothing about my family. And my mom, when my mom came to Indiana from El Paso, Texas, and already had one child, my oldest brother, she came to, you know, Midwest America and went to a really small rural town and just like pretended she wasn't Mexican, like bleached her hair blonde, like just never made Mexican food for us, never talked about her heritage. It was just like very weird, but I could sense it. (laughs) And so I always felt very drawn to my grandfather, who I've only met like twice in my life. And the day before the red tent, I had my very first or in-person breathwork session. And My very first breathwork session where I really let go. And in that breathwork session, I told Steph that I saw a Native American man to my left towards my feet. And he was, I have chills right now. (sighs) And he didn't have any kind of headdress on or anything like that. And he, all I remember is he was, had some sort of a walking stick or something like that. And he was sitting there and I didn't really say this, right? But I thought that I said to him or I communicated to him, okay, thank you for being here, but where are all the women? And he said, that's not what you need right now. That's coming. You don't need that right now. Oh man, I'm just covered in goosebumps right now. And so I told that to Steph, everyone listening. He is my coach who is a breathwork expert. and he looked at me and he just like stared in my eyes and we were maybe 12 inches from each other. And he said, there's something I've never noticed about you before. And I said, what? And he goes, you're Native American. And I said, oh, I guess I kind of am. He said, I think you need to lean into that. It's really quite beautiful. I'm looking in your eyes and I see it and I've never seen it before, but it's like really obvious right now. And I said, okay. And of course, I didn't even, couldn't even take that. And I was like, okay, I don't get it, but okay, I trust you. And then the next day was this experience. And so anyway, I know none of this is coincidence. I know it's all connected. I know I don't need to understand it, but I also would like you to explain and share your insight. First of all, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your
1: experience. Mm -hmm. It is so sacred. And I just want to honor that. Like I just want to, when I speak about this, I'm not going to really comment on specifically what happened for you because that's an intentional choice. Because I want your story to to stay your story in the gorgeous feelings and um, emotions of what it was without us needing to get in and analyze it. But what I will do share about sound and share about drumming for me. And the way that I look at it, everything is sound. Everything is vibration. Even this table that's in front of me that's made out of wood is actually just vibrating particles. That are very close together, right? We know this because we can look at any object under a microscope and we understand that even the air is vibrating particles. So everything vibrates and sound is vibration. And also, I believe that sound is, is the genesis. Sound is creation. If you even if you go back to the genesis in the Bible, God said, Let there be light. What God said right so god said and that's what happened first is the saying the speaking the the sound this idea of bringing from nothing into something using vibration and i believe in science tells us energy cannot be created or destroyed but it can be bent and manipulated and influenced and our words are our, our words our music our tones are really powerful ways to do this, right? So we all know the difference in a conversation when someone is speaking to us with an open heart and kindness and just genuine presence and excitement versus somebody who's saying similar words, but the vibration is off. Like we can't really put our finger on it, but it doesn't really feel like they're for us. And that's why music, too, is this universal language. Like You don't even have to speak the language that the song is in to understand the emotion. How powerful is that? So for me, what is happening when I'm drumming is that I'm getting really, really in touch with that prime creator sense. And I'm getting really, really in touch with the other beings in the space. In this case, all the women who were at their red tent. And I, you know, this isn't a song that I knew. This
0: wasn't something that I rehearsed. I couldn't tell you in this moment, a single note that I sang. Oh my goodness. Cause I, I I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I do want to say something. I forgot to mention your singing and your chanting. And that was, and to me, it sounded very Native American. That's, that's what I heard. But that was so beautiful. It was like an angel's voice, but but it had a lot of power, too. It was so beautiful, but really powerful. I I apologize for interrupting, but I want to make sure I I forgot to acknowledge that. And so you're saying that wasn't anything you'd sang before. Oh, no, I've never sang that before, and I'll never sing that again. Oh, Oh my gosh. gosh. That was
1: specifically in the moment for you and the others in that space. So that's why it's not surprising to me that given that that entire intention for that circle was to support and celebrate you that you had this felt experience of the vibration that was coming through me for you as a gift and what you're what you were describing is not an uncommon experience you know people who attend sound healings or really anything drumming drumming is so tribal drumming and dancing are so tribal again this is this universal language like we just know how to do it when we let ourselves so what can occur is energy right we already went over this we're all made of energy all of these vibrational particles energy starts to move so energy starts to move when these tones are played and it's actually very rooted in science you know we like to think it's pretty hippy dippy when we talk about sound healing but this is vibrational entrainment and so it's super common for different pockets of energy to be released within the body within the emotions you know you can you can listen to a song on the radio and it releases an emotion that's sound healing we're engaging in that every day in fact you're swiping on your phone, on Instagram, and you're listening to things consciously or not. You're entraining yourself with that sound. It's all having an effect on our bodies. It's it's all influencing us. So all that we were doing was, was influencing the energy with a great deal of intention and prayer for healing. So energy, some people call it Shakti, some people call it Kundalini, there's many, many names for the idea of our life life force energy. Chi is another name for it. And sometimes what can happen is when we're listening to this sound, the body's innate intelligence takes over. And that energy starts to spiral oftentimes from our root, So like the base of our spine, and it, we can get that sensation of a magnetism or a wrapping all the way around the spine. That's why you'll see people sometimes in deep samadhi states or in deep meditative states doing that same swirling. It's like a a pendulating around. That's very common as the energy swirls up the spine. If If you ever do research into kundalini awakenings, That's what people say is happening is this almost like snake-like coil of of really powerfully charged life force energy comes up and then moves through the chakras or if you want to say energy centers and moves all the way up to the crown, which is the head. So yeah, that's what I believe maybe what what was part of your experience as just activating of energy, moving of energy that was really ready to release and to let go.
2: Hmm.
1: I just wanted to add, if if
2: we think think about your first sound is in the womb. It's a maternal heartbeat. It's the blood flow of the mother. These are our first sounds. These are our rhythm. This is what we know. This is what gets us back to center. Mm -hmm. This is what connects us to the pulse of life. And so anytime when we're in rhythmic states, it gets us back to center. And also drumming can change our brain states. Yes, So it, it adds stillness to the conscious mind, which opens space for the unconscious. So it gets us from that beta brain state into an alpha brain state, which is why some people have visions and memories surface and that's why it can be so healing because in order for us to release stored hucha heavy energy in our body, we first have to awaken to it, acknowledge it so that we can then release it. And so drumming is a way to surface these unconscious emotions in the body. It's very meditative, you know, it'd be like a similar to a meditative state breath work. It has a similar surfacing that you experience during your breath work sessions. But if you think about drumming, it really connects us to the vibrational frequency of the earth, like everything is that rhythm and it brings us home to ourselves. That Yes, that's how it
0: felt. Yeah. You just hit it right there. That is how it felt. And it felt I almost don't even want to say it because I don't think I'm going to be able to say, like you just said, I feel like I need a poem. (laughs) It felt like it was like a home that I cannot describe to anyone else. No one is meant to understand it, but me and God. Like it was so beyond anything I'd ever felt before. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, some traditions too will drum to go into
1: trance state. And like Peyton was talking about, That's where they connect to these higher visions. That drum is the heartbeat, like Peyton was saying, the first sounds, dun, 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 and the vibration of the brainstem. And again, all of this is rooted in science. You can look up how music is healing. My father just had a stroke and he's doing a lot of healing with music. Right, and the, the the playing of the drum and the vibration of the brainstem and and the coherence and creating those neural pathways and strengthening music has this beautiful ability to connect all these different parts of our brain. That's why you hear about playing classical music to for the babies when they're in the womb. All of this, and in some traditions, they'll actually solve conflict by drumming and having the two. Opposing tribes or opposing individuals dance. No speaking, just intuitively expressing your energy in connection with the sound of the drum, and whole entire conflicts will be resolved simply from allowing the expression of the energy because we can dance with anger or passion or rage and it's a safe it's a safe way or joy or ecstasy right it's a safe way to express this energy that needs a place to go and in doing that we are saying to ourselves i accept this part of myself mm-hmm. I accept that I have anger over this. This is human. This is real. This is not outside of me. This belongs to my
0: experience. And when I do that, Jill, I come home to myself. What do you think about this? I know we need to wrap up soon, but I I want to make sure I say this because it just came to me and I feel like it's significant. I don't think it's a coincidence, but I want to make sure I'm not like, I want to make sure I'm not like judging it and saying, let me just say it. Because it would be okay if no one in the tent could sing, you know, like in tune or on key. That would be okay. But I have to say, I think there's something significant about the fact that seven out of the 10 women had like angelic voices. Like, have you ever gathered with some girlfriends and seven out of 10 of you, Peyton didn't sing, so it could be eight. It's not me. I think there's something to that. Like, I mean, like beautiful voices. Caroline didn't sing, but she's a professional singer. Caroline, it's interesting because she's the one who's a professional singer and she did that thing, a note. But just the spontaneous singing, is that because they've connected with that? Is that because they've opened themselves up to that? Or do you think it's a gift that only certain people have?
2: We're in agreement. No, okay.
0: I, I did
1: not sing when I was younger. I mean, I sang, but never, ever, Joe, would I have sang in front of people like that. This is something new for me in the last... 3 years and particularly after some plant medicine ceremonies with ayahuasca that I had down in the jungle music and sound have have really opened up and become an interest. I didn't really care about music before. I couldn't even, I didn't even have my own like musical interests. I just kind of listened to what my parents listened to. And then all of a sudden I started to just get really excited about sound. I learned about sound's healing properties. I read some books on sound healing. I did some training with sound healing. And as it is with any hobby, you know, you just kind of have this little tickling inside, like a whisper that's like, go down this route. And I was insatiable learning about it. And then through, the validation of experiences like yours, I thought, I, I I think we're really on to something here. And it's so true what you're pointing out. And I feel like I meet so many people in our community who are either already deeply interested in sound or blossoming into sound or learning to liberate their own voice. And I think that there's some really deep ephemeral connection here to our expression and our willingness and our our loving of ourselves enough to say, my voice matters, even Mm. if it's not the most beautiful. You know, I was not there to perform.
0: I was not there to have people watch me play the drum. I don't even need to say that. I think that it was felt. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to be careful. When I said, I don't want to judge this, that's what I was trying to say that I didn't know how to say. I didn't want to make it about voices sounding good. But it was undeniable that they weren't people just being willing to sing. They were beautiful voices, and I just also interesting. Yeah, we need all the voices.
1: Yeah. We need we need everybody's voice to come together. That's what we need. So I don't and know. When you're singing your own song, it sounds beautiful.
2: You know, we're putting the judgments, and so many people are afraid to use their voice and afraid to sing because. They may not sound like what they're judging maybe they, that they hear on the radio or, but, but that doesn't matter. You know, it's a form of expression. Mm-hmm. And that's why it sounds so beautiful because it was free. You know, she was connected to something deep inside her that she wanted to
0: share with you. And that's beautiful. There's someone, in, do you all know Monique Benabou? Do either of you know her? I I would recommend finding her. I feel like you would both just, adore her she so she's a singer and she's a sound healer and she's so someone gifted a sound healing a coach i had before with her and as soon as i experienced it but also when i just saw those bowls i'm like i'm supposed to do that i'm supposed to have those i'm supposed to do that i don't know when it's gonna oh right there there's one right there and i keep saying this but i'm gonna say it again i just made a connection my very first i've been chasing, no offense to spirituality, right? It doesn't need to be chased, but I was chasing spirituality my whole life. Like I was going to church. I was going to Baptist church. I was going to Catholic church. I was going to the Lutheran church. I'm like, can someone take me to church, please? I was always getting in a car with another family going to church. Never went with my, my family, never went to church. And I was always chasing spirituality. And I've been on this really deep spiritual journey in the last seven, eight years, something like that. I just realized when I mentioned the bowls. It's another goosebump on goosebump moment that my first, like I would say, spiritual awakening experience, which I've never called it that before, was when I went to a business retreat in Canada and I was asked to speak. And everything's always very buttoned up. It was like health and wellness, fruits and vegetables, you know, and I went and um, these two young women in Canada, in Alberta, Canada, one was still nursing a baby, invited me through the company to speak for them. Oh boy. I got there and they one came to my hotel room and said, this is a gift for you. And it was angel cards. I was like, ah, evil. I saw across the room. I was like, they're tarot cards. I'm not doing that. Right? And so then she said, hey, before we begin our day on Saturday, I mean, I know how this is dialed in. I know what you do in the morning, do it at lunch, then I'm speaking. I'm going to be great. This is awesome. Well, then they said, well, so we're going to begin with sound healing and yoga. And I was like, At a business event, okay, whatever. I'll go along with it. And so I got some stretchy pants on and (laughs) a sweatshirt and gathered down there. And there was a woman with a whole set of those crystal bowls. And she starts going. And I'm at this point like, I'm here for whatever it is. And I was kind of, I'm kind of laughing at myself. I sound super judgy. I'm actually not, but I was just afraid, afraid. Well, we're all judgy, but you know. So I was open to it, but afraid. And in my whole life, I'm like, I don't want to open myself to anything bad. I'm always afraid I'm talking to the wrong thing. I mean, this is a whole story I've had my whole life. And so I had an experience with those crystal bowls where my eyes were closed. I don't even remember what we were doing. And I felt like one of my eyes opened. One eye was open, but my eyes were closed. And on the wall, I saw this eye. I just saw this eye. And I just got this feeling in my body. And I was like, that was really cool. And that was it. And then I decided to look at the cards they gave me and they were angel cards and I've been using them ever since. I use them almost every day. And that was a very long story related to you talking about the crystal bowls and sound because I've told you I felt drawn to them and the sound healing. And I realized that wasn't my first experience. That's not true. It was like eight years ago when I felt drawn to them. Well, and think about
2: it. If you put water in a singing bowl, if you have one at home, put water in it and start... Singing the bowl and watching the vibration of the water. Our body is predominantly water. So, what's a singing bowl? So, a it's bowl, a crystal, a crystal bowl. bowl or a Tibetan bowl. Okay. Add mm-hmm. water and start letting it vibrate and watch the water.
1: This is this is called cymatics too. Oof. For anyone that wants to look it up on YouTube, you can watch vibration in nature. Like Peyton's talking about, you can watch the water change form. And you want your mind below, watch sand. Sand. Cymatics. They put they they'll put it over so you have like a speaker, then they'll put a layer of plexiglass over the speaker and then they'll pour sand on it and then they start playing different music or tones and the sand will create a geometric pattern <gasps> over the plexiglass based and there will be different frequency from the frequency oh. so
2: changing into different sacred geometry
1: yes like exactly Boom. There so, it is. so like more simple tones have sort of mm, less defined or sometimes like chaotic Mm -hmm. patterns, the higher tone frequencies, like these are like what we think of the angelic Mm -hmm. Or um, if you really want to say high vibe, right? Mm -hmm. So very Mm -hmm. high vibe is going to create a more intricate pattern, Mm -hmm. a more complex, beautiful pattern. Oh my gosh! There's lots of this on YouTube, and you can also see like frogs doing it when a frog sounds in water, how it sends out like little
0: reverberations. Mm -hmm. These are all um, cymatics in nature. Oh my god! Blow your
2: mind, right?
0: So when we were in the red tent, one thing I want to share is that because I told you I have a very loud inner critic I'm aware of it and I'm I love her every day and it's the first thing that comes to me and then I have to but one thing I was feeling was oh my god I'm behind everybody how have I been working so hard I've been doing where I've been working with this spirit healer for 8 years who is such a gift and I love that she doesn't really explain what she's doing and I don't ask her. So I know that there's been like major deep work happening. She talks about sacred geometry. I've never heard anyone else say that until today. Okay, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that, but that's the truth. So she talks about that. And in the tent, I felt like, oh my gosh, everybody's ahead of me. How in the hell do my two friends from California know that song? Like, how do you know that song? You're all singing this song. How do you know that? I'm the only one in the whole damn group who doesn't know the song. And I'm like, what is this? And I understand. I know what you're going to say. It's beautiful. It's great that I'm like new, but it's just, it's hard for me because I'm like, I'm so behind. It's how it feels. And I know I'm not, but it feels that way. It feels that way. Like I I went back through and, and stalked Peyton's Instagram and I'm going back through an account that you don't even use anymore. And I'm like, she knew all this stuff even back then. Like, how do they know this stuff? No one's throwing me a a bowl or a a this or no one's told me to look into this stuff. I didn't understand any of this. I didn't know it existed. So I know there are people listening right now. This is the first time they're hearing many of these words because if it's new for me and I've been like on this journey, I know there are other people. So thank you. And 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 just wanted to make sure you're aware of that, of how foreign this is to me. I'd never seen a drum. You know, what's so beautiful, Jill, is that you are able to say that and
1: speak that into form. And I don't care who you are. We are both a teacher and a student. And I just want to say that to you. And I want to say that to anybody listening is like, it's not the point to be on top, you know. It is the point to be humble enough to be a student and brave enough to be a teacher. And that's what you're doing right now. Your voice is serving to bridge a gap to all all of your listeners who also want to learn about these things and also feel afraid that they're behind. You're doing that, Peyton's doing that, I'm doing that, we're all doing that in our own way. I have mentors that I, I work with that guide me, and then I guide a lot of other people. And that's, I believe, how it's supposed to be.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: For Everyone
2: sure. has it all figured out. We can't. Yeah. And that's when we quit learning, right? When we're not
0: open. When we feel like we have to know it all. So before we finish, Peyton, will you share? I'm curious. When did this start for you? Like, how, how did you get in touch with all of this? I mean, how is it that back in Chicago when you were first having babies, you were drumming and you were... Where did that come from? Again,
2: it's it's from being around other women and being open. I've always been very connected to nature. That was my safe place. Um, So I would say I've, I've always just been very connected maybe to the rhythms of life and I didn't even understand. Again, it's like I'm finally understanding what I know. And I think that's what our life journey does. Is like reveals this knowing that maybe like that's kind of within us, right? Or the the woman who I happen to move next door to is a midwife who guided me learning um, how to best support a woman in childbirth. Who's her best friend through her a red tent. So it's being open and saying and feeling that call and saying yes to it when you felt. You know, when you said, I want to do something special for my 50th, and you text me, and I'm like, How about a red tent? And you're like, Yes. And you said yes to something you knew nothing about.
0: Something inside you said that. That's a great point. Why did I reach out to you? I didn't ask Christine. I didn't ask. I reached out to Peyton, who I've never met. And I remember saying, i have to go back through the text, but I said something like, It was almost like, Do you know a guy? I was like, Look, I'm coming to Austin. And in that community, I sure as heck know there's someone who'll do some sort of ceremony for me to march me into, you know, my second chapter as I'm turning 50. I want to do something, some sort of ceremony. I don't know what it is, but I'll pay for it. Just who do you know? And she messaged back and said, "Me. I'm the guy. And how about I have a red tent for you?" Oh, <laughs> girl. i was like, <laughs> "What?" But all the people that you were drawn to include,
2: you know, it's um, and I always say it's it's the right people at the right time for the right reasons, mm-hmm. and so I never worry about who's going to show, who's not going to show. I just know that it's it's going to be the the appropriate
0: and most beneficial collection of energies there, mm-hmm. always. And my two friends that came from California, again, one I say friends, one I had never met in person, but Ellie I've known since she was like seventeen or eighteen. And they flew in just for this. But then they said, while we're there, we're really inspired that you're doing like a podcast tour. How do you do that? And so we talked about that. And they're like, well, maybe we'll interview some people while we're there and make it like a business trip. Sounds great. Well, we have a couple of friends that are already in Austin. Maybe we'll go ahead and see them too. So they turned it into this experience, right? Then they meet Peyton and they, you, you, and they had the podcast together. It was awesome. <laughs> it was amazing. They talked for like four hours, and they just messaged me last yesterday and said thank you again. Like it was so important that we met her and that we were in that tent red tent. We were supposed to be there for so many reasons, and yeah, it was so beautiful to see how all of that pulled together. You know, Adrian randomly asked her to be on my podcast. Knew nothing about her and just said, hey, do you want to come to this thing I'm having in a couple of weeks? And she was so supposed to be there, right? She shared something she needed to share and wanted to share. And then anyway, it was so beautiful. I I just thank you to both of you for that experience. I I can't even say thank you because it just does not even come close to what I want to say. You're not asking for this, but my, if I could pay you back, which I know you don't want me to, but if I could, it's to pay it forward. You know what I mean? Like I'm, Doing this for other people, I cannot wait to do this. I'm certain I'm going to do it, and I can't wait for it then to spin off and other women do the same. You know, all of you listening, don't be afraid. It doesn't have to be exactly as we described. And you can message me, and or or you know, I'm sure the ladies would be okay with you messaging them and asking maybe for some advice. And please start following them and go into to my highlights. I, you know, I don't have a big Instagram following. I've never tried to, and I'm okay with it in my highlights, though. I have pictures from the red tent and you can, you can look at the pictures and get some inspiration, but also I would invite you and say, what do you two ladies say? I would say, if you're feeling called to go to one or have one, you're supposed to. And, and just start. All you have
2: to do is invite people over. And I do have a write-out that I can share with you about how to create a centerpiece or an altar, what to bring in or set an intention, how to have a flow of a ceremony, what even is a ceremony. And um, I have it all written down and would love to share because ultimately I would love for women to feel what you felt Mm -hmm. in this
0: experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I keep saying as we close, but I do want to share one more thing. So we talked about the mirror experience. So the first was the drumming and the second was the mirror experience. So you asked the women to say, I hope you see what I see. And they shared how they see me in the world. Like, what do they see in me? Who am I to them? And I shared already that that was the moment I chose to really receive this. And it was something I recommend every woman do, even if you never have a red tent, gather with a few girlfriends and do this. Like, I don't want you to leave this earth not having that experience saying, I hope you see what I see. And I want you to say to them what you really see. And I want them to say to you what they really see. Because these are the things that we say about people at their funeral. We don't say it to them when they're alive.
2: Yeah. And so many people have regrets because they didn't tell them or question to themselves, did that person know how I felt about them? So why not take in the opportunity to open your voice and, and share with someone what you appreciate about them, what you see in them, and having the receiver to receive these words and see that reflection in themselves.
0: And I would add that it's a gift for the person sharing because if all I'm focusing on with Hallie, who's my sister or my partner or my best friend, if all I'm focusing on are all of her shortcomings or the past or the things she's done wrong the things she's hurt me with, if I never take the time to really voice how I really see her, that's all I'll ever see. And I feel like it's going to be an invitation for me to see her the way God sees her. Mm. Beautifully said. When, When we
1: express our appreciation and gratitude for the people that we love or just the simple things, it could be your morning cup of coffee that you get to yourself before everybody wakes up. When you take time to slow down and be in presence with those things and really name them, either internally or to the people that they involve, you are saying to God or to the universe or to whatever that thing is that you pray to that you can't put your finger on, but you know is there. You're saying more of this feeling, please. More of this in my life. Yes. And um, so I try to make a habit of that. And you know, every time I see Peyton, I try to tell her how much she means to me and what I see her doing and how I see her creating community and her strength and her vulnerability. And the more that we can bring that into our friendships, especially our female friendships, I mean, all friendships, but I think women being willing to celebrate each other and be seen doing it unapologetically, that is something that is going to powerfully change the trajectory of, I think, humanity as it stands. I echo those sentiments. Well said. Mm.
2: I had something I wanted to share. again, I know this is an hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is so special. So my first frame drum that you were speaking of that I purchased, you know, I've looked at at music stores, didn't feel right, didn't feel right. So I went on Etsy, and you know, there's a lot of resources on Etsy that of people who make frame drums. Well, I found this one site and I was like, this is the one. This is the drum. Order it. Find out this woman who lives in the UK, who handmade my first, I have two frame drums, made these frame drums, teaches puberty courses in the UK and has been hosting Red Tents for years. Uh, The woman uh. who I bought my first drum from Mm -hmm. and who teaches me, her name is Rachel Crowe my drums are beautiful. They're so meaningful. And to, to learn that after, I'm like, of course, that's who I felt resonant with. It's like how I met you. And of course you do this. Of course you have this. And now it's like, I don't even question it anymore. It's like, of course, yes, because this is how I'm living my life. I want to draw these things in. This is important. And now my eyes are open and I'm just seeing how the universe is working with me at all times because my eyes are open, my heart is open. And I'm just so grateful to receive all these beautiful relationships in my life.
0: That reminded me when we were sitting in that circle and I had to make a real decision to receive, as I said. And one thing I did was as each woman was sharing and I, even as we, people were singing, I just, I kept hearing there's a piece of you in every one of them. Like you're looking at them with such admiration, but you brought them in because there is, they're here to teach you and love you, but there's also a slice of you that you see in each of them that maybe you haven't recognized yet. And I'm saying to everyone listening, you know, when you're looking at other women and you admire them or you maybe feel like you're behind or there's some competition or, or you, there's something that doesn't feel like truth, you know, just remember that those women, whether it's a large community or you're an extra neighbor or your sister, you know, when you look at her, you're also seeing yourself. We hear all the time, oh, everyone's a mirror, but we, many times it's used as a negative thing, you know, like you see all your shit. If you're irritated by somebody, look at yourself, which I say that all the time. But also, it, the opposite is true. Absolutely. When you see the beauty in someone, remember that that's already in you. That's why you can see it. And I also was thinking of, as I was looking at all of you, like, also, like, I don't have to. It's okay if I'm not, but I actually get to become more like each one of those people. Like, oh, I wonder what it is about Adrian that I'm supposed to learn. If you notice, I didn't talk much at all until you asked me to, which is very unusual. But when I'm a group, I like to sit back and observe. And I, anyway, I just thought of that, and I I feel like that would be something that the women listening could really think about when they're looking at the women in their lives. So I'm grateful for both of you, not just for that experience, but that you're in my life, and I'm just like. I'm, I'm really proud of myself because I attracted you for a reason. And I'm, I have worked so hard to unlearn and unbecome and shed and heal. It's so much deep work in the past couple of years. And, you know, as I said in the red tent, I have in years past really chased friendships and just wanted love and, Wanted friendships and overserved and overgave and like trying so hard to be liked and so hard to be loved and and I didn't want to be too much because if I'm too successful then they're not going to want to be around me and if I'm too this and and as I learned to love myself in this last year and really really learned to love myself which I had never heard that term seriously until a year ago never thought about it I realized that that's why now I can have these kind of friendships. There's no effort that needs to be made. It's just what it is. And I'm I'm so grateful. So you know, I know everyone listening wants to learn more about red tents and more about everything else, but will you share the the whole program that you have, Peyton? Will you share how they can find that? I have a friend that just messaged me and said, I just ordered a kit. I'm so excited. And she ordered the ebook. She ordered the ebook for her husband. She has two teenage girls. So how do they find that? So for me, the best way to find me is
2: um, at PeytonCallahan.com, which I'm sure you'll have in the show notes. But there you can have, find resources for a mother-daughter program called Become Awakening to the Purpose and Power of Your Period. It's a mother-daughter program. And then we recently released an ebook for dads called She Becomes a Dad's Guide to His Developing Daughter, which is just meant to be a resource for men to understand the women in their lives more. So while they're learning about their daughter, I have a feeling they're going to learn a lot about their partner because it was written that way. But yeah, my website's the easiest place to find me. And if you email me and reach out to me, I'm happy to share information about the Red Tent and how to host one. And would love to support you in doing that. Thank you for this opportunity.
0: Oh, it's such important work you're doing. And how about you, Hallie Rosebud? (laughs) You can find me in a couple of places.
1: If you're an Instagram person... I'm at Hallie underscore Rosebud. My website for coaching and spiritual mentorship is HallieRose.com. My website for the podcast is ThoughtRoomPodcast.com. And you can also find the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, just search The Thought Room. And you can learn more about Lunar Wild and our
0: sacred rite of passage, first period gifts at LunarWild.com. Thank you so much. This was just so beautiful. was. Thank you, Jill. Yes. And thanks for saying yes. Throw a red tent. I'm there.
2: Thank you.